The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Monday, June 21st. We're moving right along in the offseason, the best time of the year. It's coming up on my birthday. Tomorrow's my brother's birthday, by the way. Happy early birthday, Charlie. I know you're listening because you support my endeavors the same way I support yours, I'm sure. Anyway, we're going to have a mailbag uh, episode on this podcast. We'll also be doing position rankings, ranking top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 wide receivers, top 10 running backs, all kinds of top 10s. We're ripping through that. If you want to watch these shows earlier than they are posted in the audio feed, you can do so on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash pick six or search for pick six podcast in the YouTube app. When you get there, hit the subscribe button. And if you're already watching on YouTube right now, how about you bang that like button? It gives us, helps us circulate amongst the tubes and you will be a hero for doing that. You can also check out the Pick 6 Podcast newsletter daily in your inbox, uh, almost daily written by John Breach, one day Cody Benjamin, friend of the pod, of course, uh, contributor to the podcast, I guess, actually. It uh, takes care of it on Wednesdays. Go to cbsports.com slash newsletters to subscribe to that. If you do that, it will help us out and uh, potentially save Breach's family from being homeless. Joining us now to break down. Oh, I'm sorry. It's time for a mailbag. That's right. Ryan Wilson and John Breach, what's up? Oh, you forgot to mention top ten kickers and punters is also coming. So Are we doing don't that? don't leave Breach out. Look at look at Breach's face. What do you think? Are we doing that? That's a doing. newsletter exclusive, Wilson. I'm not talking about it anywhere else. It's only going in the newsletter. Brinson, can you name ten punters? <laughs> um, I can't. I'm not even going to try. Probably given like some time, but not off. The yeah, time. it would take like, like two hours would be the time Maybe I would need. Leave. Uh, right. That's enough. I don't even know who the, who's the best punter. Hecker. Yeah, Johnny Hecker. Yeah, Hecker struggled last year. See, no one cares, Breach. <laughs> <laughs> no um, one cares. <laughs> all right, let's dive into the mailbag. We got a lot to cover, as always. This is from Clemson Ryan. Get out of here. We don't want Clemson fans in here. It's an NC State player. Oh, boy. Just kidding. Wide receiver value. Just got into the podcast. Oh, sorry. He's just a fresh listener. No, we want Clemson fans. Come on in. Come on in. No one alienates listeners like Will Brinson. That's true. That, that, should, go on the, that should go on my uh, tombstone. Tombstone, yeah. <laughs> I already ordered it. <laughs> Breach. Yeah, Breach has a tombstone business, oddly enough. <laughs> not oddly enough. Not, not surprised. Actually, you know, my father-in-law is a mortician. So oh, well, he and Breach can oh, team up. call him and get in the business together. <laughs> yeah, he would actually probably give you one for free for me. Yeah. Ryan says, just get wide receiver value. Just got into the podcast and absolutely loving it. Thank you. I was curious about wide receivers' value. I think it's safe to say that Julio's value was driven down by the fact that he wanted out, but it seems like a fair number of receiver trades over the last couple of years haven't netted nearly the payout you would think they would. The Hopkins trade in particular comes to mind. Is this because the receivers that are getting traded either wanted out or the organization wants to get rid of them, or is there a, is there a mis-evaluation going on by NFL franchises? Would be interested to hear what you guys think. This is a great question. So, yeah, and it's – go ahead. Well, the two – Notable trades from last offseason were DeAndre Hopkins 
from the Texans to the Cardinals and Stephon Diggs from the Vikings to the Bills. We can also throw in Odell Beckham from the Giants to the Browns recently. And of course, Brandon Cooks to 17 different teams yeah. over the last few years. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of another. Is there somebody else who was traded? Antonio Brown. Oh, Antonio Brown. Yeah, good call. So I mean, there's been quite a few. I mean, Golden Tate, Amari Cooper. Um, so, the, and, and the oh, thing is, oh. there are a bunch of receivers and they get traded for just completely different levels of compensation. So I think there's a bunch of factors. I mean, Bill O'Brien, we just say it's a dis dysfunctional front office that has no idea what it's doing. That's how DeAndre Hopkins ends up being given away for basically nothing with Julio Jones, you know, like the Falcons won in the first round pick, but I don't feel like that was realistic because you're also asking a team to take on his $15 million salary. So that team is like, we're, we're helping you with the salary cap and we're not going to give you a first round pick on top of that. And so the Falcons are like, all right, fine. We'll take the second round pick because we're dumping, you know, this huge salary number. So I think salary cap plays a part in this when it happens plays a part in it, I, I think during yeah. the season. So if the, if the trade happens right before the trade deadline, you're going to get higher compensation because teams are more desperate. They feel like they're only a player or two away. So they'll offer more. I think that's what we saw. Uh, Mohamed Sanu, he got traded for a second round pick when he went from the Falcons mm. to the Patriots. Golden Tate got traded for a third round pick when he went from the Lions to the Eagles, I think. Um, but it, it, that was a third round pick when most people are thinking, how is Julio Jones only getting a second round pick when Golden Tate's getting a, a third round, which is right there. We mentioned Antonio Brown. That was a third round and a fifth round pick that the Steelers got. And then Brinson, you mentioned Diggs, who got traded for a first round pick, which was a huge one. Amari Cooper got traded for a first round pick. So it just seems all over the place, depending on the timing of it, the contract situation, you know, and whether the front office is being run by a bunch of fools. I totally forgot that Amari Cooper played for the Raiders. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, good too, that's how inconsequential his time was there. And that's a trade that actually worked out because um, I'm looking at some of these uh, trades involving first round picks. You mentioned Brandon Cooks. It happened a couple of times. 2018, he was traded from the Patriots to the Rams and the Patriots got Isaiah Wynn and uh, they traded that pick. Uh, prior to that, 2017, traded from the Saints to the Patriots. So the Patriots obviously get Brandon Cooks. And the Saints use those draft picks to get Ryan Ramchek and, and Trey, Hendr uh, Trey, uh, Trey Hendrickson, excuse me. So I, I think the the sort of the, one of the takeaways is when you're trading the high value draft picks for a wide receiver, there's a real chance to to make out on the other end. 2013, Percy Harvin went from the Vikings to the Seahawks, and let's see, the Vikings got in terms of trade value Xavier Rhodes uh, and uh, Jarrett McKin McKinnon, and, and then a, a late round pick. So again, I feel like the trade, the team trading the, the wide receiver tends to get the value, but to breach his point, it also depends on when it happens. It also depends on whether like Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, uh, they want out of town and, and making life difficult for the team trying to trade them. So I, I just think there are a lot of variables you have to consider, but it is very volatile to, to borrow your term from the last podcast, Brinson, in terms of trying to figure out what these guys are worth, because it depends on so much else sort of going around. Uh, and by the way, the uh, Debo has a trades involving uh, wide receiver first wide receiver trades involving first round picks up on the screen. If you want to watch on YouTube, youtube.com slash pick six uh, worth noting. I don't think that I think this was generated in um, 2018. So this doesn't include I, the only other one is Stefan Diggs for Justin Jefferson, right? Or first, was there round a first round pick involved. Yeah, because he, he I mean, 
Stefan, oh, right. Yeah. For that Justin. was the first round pick. Yeah. That was the first round pick. And that's one, too, where it's really interesting because Stefan Diggs was maybe the best wide receiver in football last year. So trading him looks stupid, but then you, you know, come right back and you grab Justin Jefferson in the first round. And that looks like a good trade by the Vikings. Stefan Diggs wanted out. He wanted a huge contract. And so I'm not saying you up, upgrade it per se, but you, you know, relative to the contract and all that, I think both parties are happy there the Bills and, and the, the Vikings. Um, I think when you look at some of these, and this may be why the wide receiver trade market is a little suppressed, is that most of these didn't work out well. Right. I mean, Deion Branch from the Patriots to the Seahawks for a first-round pick, that didn't work out. You know, uh, Roy Williams traded for <laughs> – what are we doing, Cowboys? Yeah, that uh, was so long ago, it almost feels like it's not even the same era. Percy Harvin had a, uh, you know, won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks, but that was a bad trade. Brandon Cooks, did they win? Did the Pats win the Super Bowl with Brandon Cooks? Well, they, and to put that Percy Harvin trade, he was hurt. Percy Harvin trade in perspective is Seattle turned around and trade him in 2014 for a sixth round pick. Right, exactly. Uh, the Randy Moss deal from Minnesota to Oakland was an abject disaster. The Patriots, I would, I wouldn't say the Rams. I would, didn't work out for the Rams when they acquired Brandon Cooks, mm -hmm. and. You know, I, I mean, they ended up trading him to the Texans for, what, a second-round pick? So I think that's probably part of it, is that a trading a first-round pick for a veteran wideout traditionally has not worked out that well. In the cases where it has, hmm. um, or in the cases where, you know, somebody, where you're trading for a wide receiver, the ones that have worked out well were, you know, Randy Moss from the Raiders to the Patriots, where they got him on, you know, for like a, what is it, a fourth-round pick. Um or the Diggs thing. I mean, Diggs worked out well. Hopkins was for a second-round pick, and that was a case. I mean, that's a sort of a unique situation. But they've got to be a superstar like a, a Diggs or a Moss because most teams are going to think, why would I give you a first-round pick when I can just draft a receiver in the first round who might only be maybe not as good, but they're going to be 10 times cheaper, and if they're 90% as good, that's a fair payoff. So you're not I, just going to give up a first-round pick. I think that the, if you're trading for players that you can't, easily replaced and i think to breach's point wide receivers are actually a little easier to replace than maybe we, we think they are but i think quarterback obviously makes the most sense that you give a first round or first round pick plural cornerback and edge rusher um maybe offensive tackle but I, I think that actually is probably fourth on the list and i think that's it like i don't think you trade a first round pick for a wide receiver what is the stat where it's like no it's something like a team that's drafted a wide receiver with a first round pick hasn't won the super bowl in like 20 years or something, something like crazy like that. I think something so. crazy like that. I mean, we should know that, I guess, but that, that has since changed because Mike Evans won it last year. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and that team also felt a little different, but the point being is that especially with the influx of talent in the last few years, it, in terms of wide receivers, you know, you see guys like JJ Ortega Whiteside come in the league, Jalen Rager, guys like that come in the league. Where, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Devontae but, Smith. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> <laughs> There's just been a bunch of young wide receivers coming to the league the last couple of years, and I think that that's made teams a little less inclined to give up a first-round pick for a veteran wide receiver because you can get one on a cheaper deal. The other thing about all these veteran wide receiver trades, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Odell Beckham, I'm trying to think, maybe Percy Harvin, almost all of these dudes that are being traded when they get to the new landing spot, they want a new contract. And that's a big factor. You know, the Texans complained that they didn't want to pay 
DeAndre Hopkins. Well, they look stupid. You know, the Giants didn't want to pay. You know, Odell Beckham had gotten a new deal, but then he wanted a new deal when he got to Cleveland. Yeah, that deal looks okay for the Giants right now. It 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 could cut both ways. I think the digs and the fact that Diggs and Hopkins did it, especially in a pandemic year, makes you look really stupid when they when they when they dominate, especially because you know the, again the Vikings got away with it. The you know the uh, that Vikings Bills trade looks like one of those even trades of all time. You know, you try yeah. to write the winner losers thing a couple of years later, and it's like, well, they they both won. That is primarily because the Vikings, either through luck or skill, got the white the the white the right wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Next question. That's a great question, Clemson Ryan. Thanks for yeah. You dump, dumping all over him, and then he because a great question. I just Clemson it. fan. Yeah, I like Clemson. Clemson's great. And has a terrible name. Is that what you gonna say? No, if Clemson could quit. Beating, no, Ryan. I was making it Ryan. What? It would be nice. Mailbag question from I Loveish. I would love to get you guys' opinion on this take. So after another year of mediocrity and lack of growth, the Bengals decided to cut ties with Zach Taylor. Glimpse into your future, Breach. Wait, so is, yeah, so is this... <laughs> Meanwhile, Joe Brady is helping Sam Darnold have the best season of his career seen as the hottest coaching hand of 2021. Next offseason, the Bengals hired Joe Brady, reuniting with Burrow and Chase. Thoughts on this happening? Breach, I'll let you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, is this an, a hypothetical or is this guy can actually see the future? Because this all seems very realistic. Um, I would just say real quick that I would not... I, if Joe Brady, if Joe Brady crushes it in Carolina with Sam Darnold and they fired Zach Taylor, I would have, I would love for them to reunite Brady and Burrow and get Brady in Cincinnati. Now that being said, I don't think Mike Brown would do it. He's the type of guy who would feel burnt by what they're not going to hire the same thing they just hired, which is an offensive minded uh, guy with no prior head coaching experience. I don't think they're going to go the same well twice if they had to fire. Zach Taylor. So I think they'd go with somebody maybe a little bit more established. So even though I like it, Hugh I don't Jackson. think the Bengals would do it. Yeah. Right. Hugh Jackson. Brenton, let me ask you this. I mentioned this at the very end of the last podcast. Would you rather have Joe Brady as this scenario plays out, or would you trade three first round picks for Kyle Shanahan if you're the Bengals? I would trade three first round picks for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I would be Maybe willing Joe to give Brady. Joe Brady Joe a Brady's, chance. Joe Brady's like 31. I'm giving him a two year deal. Two-year deal. He ain't signed a two-year deal, numb nuts. You give Kyle Shanahan, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins, along with Joe, Joe Mixon, and a and a, I guess, upgraded offensive line. He's doing work. By the way, this is extremely telling on Breach's part. This is a man who has seen this organization flounder for years, and he's hesitant on as to whether he would spend three, three first-round picks. On Kyle Shanahan, you could go through the history of the Bengals drafts for a first you round pick. Browns let Bill Walsh leave, right? Did you send him to say, like, "Get out of here, loser"? We don't Kicked need him to the curb. Kicked him to the curb. Him the curb. Bill Walsh, maybe the greatest offensive coach in the history of professional football, reinvented offensive football as we know it. He was in the Bengals' back pocket, and they told him to get lost. And you've been floundering in mediocrity since then. And you just won't trade three first round picks for Kyle Shanahan. Kyle way, Shanahan is no Bill Walsh. Marvin Brenton. Lewis is probably the second best coach in Bengals history. I right? would rehire Marvin Lewis. <laughs> That's, <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> That's why you're the Bengals. Uh, no, Marvin, Marvin Lewis working for any in their Arizona, helping, Arizona State helping to orchestrate Herm Edwards' like, illegal recruiting ring. I love that Pete Prisco, Arizona State alum, is happy that they're they're cheating. He wants them to cheat better so they can win a national title. 
If you ain't cheating, for, you ain't trying. But for real, Marvin Lewis is the second best coach in Bengals history. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Breach? Yeah. That's, yeah. Ahead I of mean, Forrest it Greg. depends. It's You have Paul Brown in there. You have Sam Weish. Forrest Craig. Forrest Craig, who went to a Super Bowl, even though it wasn't there long. So is Taylor, the fifth best Bengals coach in I don't know. No. I've said it. I've said it a few times this offseason. I do think that if Zach Taylor doesn't hit six wins, the Bengals should get rid of him. So this is his make or break year. And you know, if Sam Darnold and the Panthers go 13 and four because their offense is unstoppable because of something that Brady's doing down there, then yeah, you talk to Joe Brady and you say, All right, man, we want to team you up with Joe Burrow again and we're gonna hire you. Here's the other thing about Joe Brady. Look. Maybe Joe Brady would be great this year. The offense was okay last year. You know, they tried, they tried to throw freaking Teddy B under the bus, and he threw them back under the bus. Uh, Joe Burrow, I mean, Joe Brady, Joe Brady was not the offensive coordinator at LSU. He was the passing game coordinator. But because he's so young and because he had worked with New Orleans and had been a coordinator, you know, like a little assistant coach in New Orleans, everybody was hot to trot for him. Where did he go to college? I don't know. William and Mary. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, we don't want him then. Bengals don't want him. Dude, that would be funny. A William and Mary guy leading the Bengals to success. Two William Mary coaches in the AFC North. How about that? That's too many. That's too too many. Yeah, one one is winning enough championships while you sit there. Ooh, with... and that would mean that William and Mary would have more head coaches than. Ooh, that's what Bruce doesn't want. What? No, they wouldn't. Why not? Three versus two. Can you? Uh, uh, that's assuming that no Miami of Ohio players get hired as a head coach. Also next offseason, Ryan. Bold assumption. Who would be the logical candidate since you have? He can't even name another player. I mean, there's so many. Roethlisberger (laughs) just becomes a coach in Pittsburgh. I I tell you this much: I would happily let Roethlisberger coach the Bengals. I could. I I know how that's going to go. I'm begging for Zach Taylor. Somebody take that dunk button away from Brinson. Uh, All right, let's uh, player coach Ben Roethlisberger. But I don't think I don't I don't think I agree with you, Breach. I think Mike Brown would probably go. Uh, He's a very like ex girlfriend style guy who's going to take hire the opposite opposite side, but. That they did clearly at least ask um, Joe Burrow about drafting Jamar Chase. So maybe they would do, maybe they would at least ask him about hiring Joe Brady. And so I wouldn't take it off of the table. I don't know. They hired Zach Taylor. That wasn't, that was sort of off the radar. Yeah. And then he didn't, he couldn't hire a defensive coordinator for like seven months. Couldn't find anybody who wanted to be his DC. It was no one wanted the job. No one wanted the job. Would you want the job? No. No. You're good good job. Job. I'd rather be on this podcast than be the Bengals defense coordinator. No. And that's me. <laughs> I mean, in theory, you could probably make more than the Bengals defensive coordinator over over the length of this podcast. How many years of this, po- this podcast will get around like 10 years for you to make the and then you get you're sure, get fired Bengals, after one year? You see what the big Bengals DC is gone after one or two years, right? And you're not getting a great salary because you're you're the 18th choice. Yeah, I think this podcast might be more lucrative over the long term and <laughs> certainly safer. From a job stability standpoint. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Julio, Julio, Julio. This is from Omanate. Says Julio, Julio, Julio. Yo, AJ Brown should change his jersey number seven so the one and two receivers can be seven eleven. They always open. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Anyways, by the end of the season, do you think? Do you th- who do you think will be the lead back for Dallas? What? <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a swear. Had to get the A.J. Brown Julio joke in there. Unfortunately, <laughs> Julio changes number to two, so that's off the table. That's true. 
Seven Eleven would be always open. That would be great. You should just leave. Just leave with that, and then leave. leave ask the Dallas question in a different review. Or don't even ask a question. Just yeah. leave it, and we'll that's, read it, and we'll all laugh. Yeah, that's that's the George Costanza joke telling. You got to know when you're. <laughs> I'm out. You like people laugh. You're like, all right, good to see you. You walk out of your job at noon. <laughs> anyway, funny. uh, by by the end of the season, who do you think will be the lead back for Dallas? T- TP, Tony Pollard, or Zeke? Ezekiel Elliott? Because I can totally see Zeke dropping the ball in the season like he did last year. Thank you. I love listening to the pod. Who do you think? Breach. Uh, well, I think that Jerry Jones is just absolutely determined to make sure he gets as much value out of the horrible Ezekiel Elliott contract as possible. So uh, if they didn't bench him last season when he was fumbling every other touch, uh, he's not. He, there's no path for him to get benched. He's just gonna play until the Cowboys can get rid of him after his contract runs out. So I think the answer is Zeke. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, and the good news is, of course, that Dak Prescott's coming back. So maybe that helps Zeke. It will certainly help Dak if they have some balance there. But uh, so let's see what his contract is looking like. So I think they he, can get out of it after 2022. So 2021, he's base salary 9.6 million. His dead cap hit in 2021, Brinson, if you had to guess, what do you think his dead cap hit is? In, in 2021, I would guess 25 million dollars. I'll say 29 million. 36.9 million dollars. He's going to be the lead back. Also, let's not sleep on the fact that just two days ago, Dak Prescott asked about Zeke. Zeke looks great. Prescott told Calvin Watkins, old, old pallet fan house of the Dallas Morning Lose, he's in the best shape of his life. Yeah, put it in my If we had a drinking game where he had to drink every time someone said they were in the best shape of their life, we, we would never be sober poison. for a podcast. This is best shape of your life season. So end. after, as preached on, after 2020. I've seen the clips of him working out independently with his running back coaches. Cuts, just how explosive he is. Excited to have a full year with him again and get him healthy throughout the whole season. Sorry, go ahead. As Breach noted, after 2022, there is uh, an out post June 1st trade. Uh, the dead cap hit will only be 4.1 million that year and 6.7 million the next year. Post 6 1 release, a little dicier, 16.5 million dead cap hit in 22, 6.7 million in 2023. So if they really want to do it, they can after this season. Uh, otherwise, he is on the books till 2026. He ain't going anywhere. He's the lead back. They drafted him with a top five pick. They drafted him ahead of Jalen Ramsey. And he they is only. They paid him before they paid Dak Prescott. They love Zeke. He's only 25. He's not going anywhere for three, four years. I think two more years he's there. Because then it does get considerably cheaper after the 2022 season. 2023. After the 2023 season, excuse me, you can sort of dump him if you want to. And he's only 28 that year. Okay. He's the guy. Tony Pollard is, is the. Sorry, Tony. You don't have a big enough contract. He's the he's a relief pitcher. I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, that's just yeah. Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard will get run, but remember, th- this is this happened with Jason Garrett, and we heard um, was it Cole Beasley? Well, after he left, said yeah. I mean, they the guys upstairs tell them who the to politics. Throw it's yeah, like if they trade for Amari, trade a first round pick for Amari Cooper, you feed Amari Cooper. Jerry Jones is going to tell Mike McCarthy if Mike McCarthy tries to start Tony Pollard, Mike McCarthy will lose his job. Here's the question. Who's there longer in Dallas? Zeke Elliott or Mike McCarthy? Oh, Zeke Elliott. Breach? Zeke. Wow. No hesitation from either of you. <laughs> I mean, based on the contracts, you would handicap it with Zeke. I mean, you know, like if Mike McCarthy's going to win enough games to be there for four years? Mike McCarthy's not changing. That's what we learned last year. Exactly. But he, 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 he went to the PFF headquarters once, so that's... yeah. 
He went for a tour and didn't listen. Put on the wrong, he had the headphones listening to the wrong channel. That's right. Mailbag question from D Levy123. Hey, super friends, shout out from Canada. What's up? Woo, woo. Canada? Yeah, Canada. Been listening to the podcast for a few years now, and I love the mix of useful insights and hilarious banter. Definitely my go-to football podcast all year long. Thank you for listening. My question for you is I've noticed in other sports like basketball and hockey, there's a large draw to have stars in big markets, and whenever stars are unhappy on their current team, rumors with a U come out, like the Fleetwood Mac album, come out as that they will join teams in L.A. or NYC. Football media and the league as a whole don't seem to mind having their big stars in, quote, small markets like Mahomes and KC, Rodgers and Green Bay for now, Josh Allen and Buffalo, et cetera. Why is this the case? Appreciate it and keep up the great work. That's a great question as well. Man, really good, thoughtful questions from our listeners. This week. I don't know if it's by design or not, but I think it actually makes it more interesting to have the smaller markets have superstars. I mean, like Patrick Mahomes in New York City, playing for the Jets, that doesn't seem to me as fun as playing in Kansas City in the Midwest where those fans love the Chiefs. That's the you know the, the, the only show in town. Like New York or L.A., there's a million things going on. And that's sort of the joke, like in Los Angeles especially. They have two teams there now in Los Angeles. They have the USC. They have UCLA basketball. They have the Dodgers. Uh, they have the – are they called the Anaheim Angels now? What are they called? Anaheim? And sure. like you don't even know you don't you you don't you can't split your time up to to focus on one thing. So I think like the Packers uh, historically makes sense there. The Steelers, um, the the Bills being good is, is huge for Western New York. But I don't know, like I said, if it's by design or otherwise. But I like the idea of it being sort of fair and balanced, if you will, breach. But I also think that the NFL is in a better spot because you see other leagues they want to have their big name players in the bigger city. So that's better from a marketing standpoint. The NFL doesn't need to market itself because yeah. it's already the most popular sport. So what they want is to be as balanced as possible and to be as balanced as possible means you have superstars playing for these small market teams. And so, and you know, some of the small market teams are the storied franchises. Like the green Bay Packers are a great example of they're the smallest market in the NFL, but they're also one of the most notable teams that, uh, they've been around for a hundred years. They've won multiple Super Bowls, and so you want that team to always be good. So, I mean, the NFL's put itself in a good spot that it's not reliant on how TV ratings do with your your biggest markets or this or that because you have revenue sharing. You have just everything's created to be equal. So there's no uh, you're not forced to put your big stars in your big markets. Yeah, I don't. It's exactly right. They don't. They don't require their best players in their biggest markets it's just sort of how it is i mean they don't need aaron Rodgers on the new york jets and the other thing to, here's the other thing about football versus basketball and hockey is that because of the length of the season it is much easier for you can get optimistic about the jets or the giants for a random season, even when they don't look like they might be that great. This year's a great example. Jets and Giants fans are kind of pumped up. Knicks fans have been expected to be terrible for years, right? They, they expect to be bad. And you need a superstar to flip a team. The, the, the NBA needs the Knicks to be good for the Knicks to be relevant, for the Knicks to drive ratings and to help them from a financial perspective. You know what the NFL doesn't need? 
the Jets or the Giants to be good. The Jets haven't been good ever. The Jets were good for two years outside of Joe Namath you know, winning the Super Bowl. The Jets have never been good, and the Jets still sell tickets and do ratings. It doesn't matter that the Jets suck. Their fans still like show up and, and root for them and watch them on TV. And the same thing for the Giants. Even though the Giants are bad, the fans still show up. And I think that's true almost universally, with the exception of, of course, a couple of teams that will bounce when you know they'll leave town if 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 the fans don't show up, the Chargers, for example, maybe, and then the, I guess the Raiders never really were lacked popularity. It's just fans are more loyal to the the NFL is just king, and they're just they're going to keep showing up even when the teams are bad. It's also because they now play seventeen games, whereas there are one hundred sixty two baseball games, and you're not coming out to see. 80, not, like 41, 41 home NBA games of a, of a five in team or something. Nine, no names on the field or five, no names on the court. So yeah, that, that also probably, if there are only 15 basketball games and 15 baseball games, you would go out there and watch anybody, if, you know, if that was your team. So that probably also has something to do with it. And it's easier to sell tickets for, you know, the Jets and the Giants. You're selling eight games. Only, yeah. You only have to sit there for 16 to what's, what's 13 times three. 26 hours, is that right? 30, 39. 30. <laughs> nice math. You were close. <laughs> 16. Uh, oh, sorry. No, 24 hours, eight times three uh, for the home games. So, you know, between 16 and 24 hours of your life spent watching terrible football, whereas you could spend 500 hours watching baseball games if you really want to see some terrible baseball. Also, I think, I'm just trying to, the way that the revenue works for like baseball and basketball too, you, know, you have local TV deals. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know the national, details. National television deals for football. So the the Jets are sold as a part of a bigger package, no matter whether they're good, bad, or you know, it doesn't matter. Whereas, yeah. so that that changes up your revenue sharing too. So uh, there's a lot of different factors in it, um, and that is mostly why. All right. Next question. Blame big eye test. This is from Swift Jam John. He's a little arrow. Swift John. I don't know if it's like a jam John. I don't know what's going on. It's a bit of a miracle. <laughs> it's a bit of a miracle that this is the lead NFL podcast for CBS, and that's a compliment. Is it? You guys aren't getting the typical start. Backhanded compliments. What's that? Is that a backhanded compliment? Is that how those go? Yeah. Let's go keep, ahead. keep reading. Let's keep reading and find out how he meant it. You guys, you aren't getting the typical starch rundown of obvious bullet points by guys who were just thrown together. Brinson is both engaging and infuriating, almost by design. That is actually how I was created in a lab. Uh, yep, interrupting the person he just questioned. Yep, but he's good at this. Okay, we'll take it. Wilson works in subtleties and operates as a kind of straight man curve on Brinson. <laughs> Preach has great energy and information. They consult analytics, but don't overweight it. They also make you laugh. I've heard other media say they don't pretend to understand everything happening on the field. Which leads to my five star question. Do the By host- the way, I, I want to make basically Breach has great energy and information. That's basically saying Breach has a great personality. I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's quite the compliment. <laughs> Go ahead with the question. Um here's the f- Do the host consume football strategy, X's and O's, or do you at some point or did you at some point? If so, do you have a good basic strategy book recommendation, or is it more important just to have a basic understanding of what different coaches are using and how effective they are? Does anyone use the eye test besides Prisco? Discuss. Thanks for all the hours, guys. That's a, that's a good question. What's the eye test? Prisco just eyeballs, guys? I think film, watching film. So, we, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'll, I will watch film at various points during the season for, ver- 
it's, I'm not, I don't consistently watch film the way I wish I did. Uh, I blame that on uh, my family. Strictly on my Instead of my own laziness and procrastination, I pin that on my family. That's just how it's going to be. Um, I, I think that I tend to sort of lean on, I, I trust my eyeballs as a sports fan in most cases, whether it's in baseball, golf, uh, basketball or football. Like I, that's when I'm able to watch what's, you know, what, whatever to watch on the field, I can tell, I, I, I trust my eyeball test when watching guys play football or any sport that, that I can sort of say, all right, I think that guy's going to be good. Now, of course it's not a hundred percent, right? Never is. Um, but I'm also not going to tell you that I'm can break down offensive line play. Most people can't. You mm-hmm. need to be a former offensive lineman usually to break down offensive line play. Even guys who do like deep dive film studies to a degree are largely guessing. Because well, and even places like pro football focus, you know, coaches and players will say they don't, they don't know what the assignments were. Uh, so they're missing on some of this. And, and those guys are people who watch film literally 23 hours a day, 364 days a year. So there is, it, it is kind of hard to. Why 364? Uh, what do they do on the last day? Maybe they, they take one day off. Oh, okay. They can't have a day off, Ryan? You didn't, know how, many day, you didn't know how many days are in a year, did you? I know how many days are in a year. <laughs> I said 23 hours a day also. I know how many hours are in a day. My God, it's turning into a... 59 minutes an hour? Salting. 59. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, just to go on with what Brinson's saying is that there's so much information that it's unless you play the game at the professional level, it's hard to kind of grasp it all. I would say that... A couple of uh, a couple of good options if you want to learn and, and look. I mean, I, I've read I've read these books, so I, I mean, it, it, they help. They help you learn football strategy. They help you learn schemes and all that stuff. Uh, one, Chris Brown wrote two books: Smart Football and The Art of Smart Football. Those are really good books. He does a great job with those. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. I, I thought I, I thought I'd had I've had these behind me, but I, I don't. They're somewhere in my office, which is. Can't I show you the camera? But it's everything strewn about. Uh, Blood, sweat, and chalk with Tim Layden of Sports Illustrated is a really good book, breaking down sort of the history and the the way that c- certain schemes have developed. And oh, the essential smart football is the other one by Chris Brown. And I'm uh, Pat Kerwin's "Keep Your Eye Off the Ball," our our teammate at CBS. Pat Kerwin's the man, by the way, uh, awesome dude. And he wrote a great book. It's "Keep Your Eye Off the Ball." It's how to watch football. Pat was a former uh, former executive in the NFL. And now has worked on NFL and CBS for years. There's also a ton of, you know, if you sort of if you if you get into it a little bit deeper, and you, I, I would I would I would say those are good. I don't want to say, call them surface level, but good introductory foundation, foundational books that'll help you if you want to get into the strategy and, and the X's and O's and schematics of football. Um, and then once you from there, you can sort of decide like how hard you really want to dive in because there's a lot of different stuff you can buy. I mean, you can get like, you know, Bill Walsh's coaching Bible. I, I it's a, it's a really expensive. It's like a hundred it's like $300 or something on, on Amazon, but you can get Bill Walsh's um, like his, his, his approach, his holistic approach to football. Uh, you know, you can, you can find different stuff online where guys break down certain schemes for each team you know, like the Kansas city offensive breakdown and, and all of that. So I think that those are probably good examples of books that you could buy to help you uh, figure out how to dive into, uh, into football. 
if that if that's what you were so interested in doing. Yeah, for me, so the X and O stuff, I didn't really, I never watched like all 22 film until I had to start doing the draft stuff. And when you're trying to sort of study cornerbacks and safeties, um, wide receivers, you can't really do it if you're just watching like the broadcast copy. So and once you start doing that, as Breach noted, you have no idea what the coverages are. You have no idea what the routes are. And, and what you find out is that it really helps to know, have a general idea of, of how coverages work and how route combinations work to understand what teams are trying to do. And um, I mentioned this before, and I mentioned it again, like uh, the QB school YouTube with uh, JT O'Sullivan is an awesome resource and it's free. And if you like that, you can actually join his um, Patreon page and, and go from there. He does more in-depth stuff, but he's a former quarterback. He played in like a million different systems, former Bengals quarterback at one point. So if you're interested in seeing how the Bengals offense ran uh, 10 years ago, but his YouTube page is like a fantastic place to start. And um also, like you can you can find like really good stuff that's actually not long reads, but it requires you to sort of focus because like one of the things that I bought last year on Kindle was called the Past Coverage Glossary by this guy named Cameron Soren, who I think actually is like a lawyer in his real life, but he at some point in his life understood the nuances and, and all the different coverages that that teams run, and um, you know just sort of something that if you're interested in. And it goes over the basics like cover two, cover three, cover one, and then goes more in depth from there and sort of all the, all the things you can run off of that. And that's something you can just sort of, it's not, it's not a book. It's literally telling you what each player's responsibility is um, on, a, on a given call on, on the covers they're running. And if that's something you're, you're trying to, to come better at, that that's a, a way to go. And like I primarily, like I said, just watch college sort of all 22 and, and, people that I know that I, that I ask questions about in terms of what's going on there, they always say the college system is like the schemes they run is so much more simplified than what the NFL is doing. And I, I would imagine if I had any sort of paid any attention to the NFL all 22, it, it would take me forever to have a, have any idea what's going on because I don't understand, you know, 75% of the things I'm looking at in, in, in college in terms of coverages. And, and that's why it's also important to have people that you can sort of bounce those things off of. But even not that specific, and I know he asked about strategy here, and I think strategy in football is so interesting because you look at – we talked about Bill Walsh earlier. You know, He comes up with the West Coast offense, and that takes over the NFL. And then all of a sudden, if you're an NFL team, now if you're a defensive coordinator, you've got to come up with a defense that can stop the West Coast offense. And so things keep escalating, and coaches keep coming up with new things, whether uh, it's, it's Buddy Ryan back in the 80s coming up with – uh, you know, a, a new kind of defense or it's Dick LeBeau bringing in the, the the zone blitz and you're having safeties blitzing. Things like that didn't exist 30 or 40 years ago. And someone thought, hey, why don't we do this differently? Why don't we drop our defensive tackles back into coverage? Because no one had really ever thought of that before. Uh, when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl in 88, they did it because they were running a no huddle offense that teams in the NFL had never thought to run a no huddle offense for an entire game. They were doing it in two minute drills. And some coach just said, why don't we do this for the entire game? Because it's worked so well in two minute drills. So you just have these coaches, uh, you know, who are thinking outside the box and, and we still see it going on today. You know, Andy Reid's coming up with offensive schemes that work in Kansas city all the time, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Alex Smith or Patrick Mahomes. And even though we're in a passing league, you see John Harbaugh say, you know what? We're going to buck that trend 
and we are going to run the ball and we're going to run it down everyone's throat because all these defenses are designed to stop the pass. And I think we can successfully run. And now the Ravens, you know, running for the most yards of any team in NFL history are, are running for 400 yards in a game last year, things that were just unheard of. But when you're playing against defenses that are set up to stop the pass, all of a sudden you have the advantage because you're running the ball all the time. And so it's just seeing coaches be creative and, and you know, just understanding all that football strategy, I think is one of the most fascinating things of the game. It's funny you mentioned that breach. Cause that reminded me of something I saw on Twitter last week. And uh, it was a tweet from, from James light that talked about bill Belichick going into detail about why Dick LeBeau's zone blitz package was so effective at, at attacking the West coast offense. And there is uh, I don't, I don't know this website, but uh, I, I know James light does good stuff. And he mentioned throw deep publishing, throw deep publishing, has a compilation of all of Bill Belichick's thoughts on strategies and, and fundamentals. And it's called the big book of Belichick. And it's 25 bucks as I look at it here. I don't know if it's an ebook or not, but if that's something you're interested in, interested in terms of strategy, I, I think there's probably no better place to start than getting Bill Belichick's idea on, on everything under the sun. So um, that's certainly less X's and O's and more strategies breach was talking to. And maybe that's something you're looking for. Agreed. Agreed. Great breakdown. Um, I would say, I mean, check out those books. If you know, and the the other thing too is that with the way that the media has evolved in 2021, there is a ton of there are a ton of people out there producing content that is really beneficial to allowing you to learn. You know, like for instance, Jeff Schwartz, friend of the program, it does. Uh, he's doing like a big boys club thing where he's talking to, he's having conversations with other offensive linemen about scheme related stuff. And they're so, you didn't have this really 10 years ago where these guys would finish their NFL careers and would come into the media and be doing scheme schematic stuff. You know, mostly you would finish your career and you go and do hot takes on ESPN or whatever it was, you know, like you're talking about the narrative surrounding things. And now it's a lot, there's a lot more room. Oh, the other thing I would do is uh, watch um, NFL matchup show DVR that on ESPN or ESPN two, whatever it's on with Greg Cosell, Sal Palantonio and uh, um, Matt Bowen. That they do, they do a great breakdown of that. I usually you know, record that on Saturday, watch it every Sunday morning, and you'll get good scheme insights into different things. So, highly recommend checking that out. I just think there's a ton of media you can consume, and then you can start watching the film yourself. You know, if you want to figure out, all right, like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? I, you, know, you can get the all 22, you can buy it for like 150 bucks from NFL.com. And so, highly recommend all of those resources. Any other thoughts? And always listen to the Pick Six podcast. That's my Duh. last thought. That's right. The pit, yeah. I mean, but we don't, I mean, that's sort of, that goes back to the heart of the question is like, we don't want, we didn't start this podcast for it to be. I'm that, not ain't, gonna that ain't, that ain't our lane. Well, but well, and also I think that talking about stuff like uh, X's nose and strat or X's nose specifically is easier on a television show where everyone is visually watching. So you can, you know, watch a play or describe what someone should have done or, or how a coverage broke down. You know, when you're just talking about it in a, well, there's no visual, it can be tough for people to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And um, also not our lane. Well, but <laughs> I mean, look, it's hard to, it's hard to watch 16 games and, and break down like the X's and O's of every game, you know, on Sunday night. Like that's, that's not really something you're going to be able to pull off. Additionally, 
when we, I mean, just based on our general personalities, this show wasn't going to be a rigid rundown of here are the hot topics of the day. Talk to you about in a serious manner because the National Football League demands reverence. Damn it, you know, with with a. Yeah, this is we're not we're this is kind of a fun podcast. This is it's always going to be a fun podcast. It's going to be goofy. It's going to be, um, it's going to feel loose, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, as I, people as people often term. say, it feels like you're listening to some idiots yell and scream at each other at a bar. This ain't, but that's what we want. This ain't people, the NFL match. People think this isn't a carefully curated attitude that we have on this podcast, buddy. This has taken forty years to develop. This loose. <laughs> lackadaisical attitude uh anyway that's the mailbag show thanks for listening I wonder if brooks kepka won the u.s open he was rampaging on maybe that's your birthday present that would not be a birthday present rom john rom would be a birthday present. brooks i can do it brooks. we're pricey anyway you guys have okay picture this It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.